going to be back in the Psalms today, Psalm chapter 24. So if you have your Bibles, have them out, open them up to Psalm chapter 24. Um, and today is our last week in the book of Psalms. That's it. Yeah, I know, I know. I, I have to say, just being in the Psalms this summer, they, they are powerful. Um, I feel like I've been so blessed by just being able to dig into them every week and then coming and talking and thinking about them with you here. Um, I feel like one of the things that stood out to me in the book of Psalms this summer is just the power of God, right? I, I was talking about last week how um, my prayer for us as a church is that by the end of the summer, after thinking weekly about the power and the size and the splendor and the majesty of God week after week after week, we would come to the end of a summer with, with just a bigger view of who our God is. We know our God is big, but when we come to grasp just how big he is, we come to realize more and more that we haven't even come close to understanding how big he is. Um, and so I think that Psalm 24 is a perfect ending to the Psalms here is because Psalm chapter 24 reminds us of that truth, the power of God, but then it also reminds us of another truth that we've seen over and over in this series on the book of Psalms, and that is even though God is so big, even though he is so transcendent, so majestic, so powerful, he's also close to us. Even though he is so much bigger and more powerful and wonderful than us, he cares for us. He's in relationship with us. Those two truths are completely and perfectly married in Psalm chapter 24. Uh, so I think it's a perfect conclusion uh, for the Psalm series. Uh, really briefly, before we dive in, though, this morning, I want to give you a quick look forward. Uh, after the Psalm series, we're moving into a really short series that we're going to look at as we begin our new school year. And also uh, begin home groups for the new year. We're going to do a series on the gospel. We talk about the gospel every week. But what is the gospel? And what is the, a life shaped by the gospel? What does that look like? Because very often when we talk about the gospel, we talk about the benefit of the gospel of salvation, right? We think about how by the power of the gospel, Jesus' uh, death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead, we earn eternal life. And that's true, absolutely. <laughs> We're not downplaying that. But we know that the power of the gospel extends beyond just salvation. In other words, the gospel isn't just the ABCs of the Christian life. The gospel is the A through Zs of the Christian life. The gospel shapes every single part of the Christian life. So in this series that we're going to look at at the beginning of the school year, beginning of the home group year, we're going to look at the gospel and ask this question. How does it shape every single element of my life? And we're going to connect that to the home groups because in the first couple weeks, all the home groups are going to be working together to talk together to answer that question. How does the gospel shape our lives? And you're going to be wrestling with that in the home groups. So if you're not a part of a home group, it's a perfect time to start. Not next week, but the week after that is, the, is when that will start. But today we're in the book of Psalms, chapter 24, one more time. So open up there, and we're going to walk through it together. I'll read it, and then we'll pray. This is a psalm from David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell within. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. 
Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false, and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Hallelujah, right? Let's pray together, and we'll dive into verse 1. Lord, we're here this morning not just to hear an encouraging message, not just to sing songs that make us feel good. We're here this morning because of you. We're here this morning because we want to worship you in our song. We want to give you the glory you deserve. We want to put you in your rightful place in our hearts, Lord. We want to tell you that you are the king of glory. You are the king of the universe. And we want to praise you for it. Father, we want to come to know you more through your word because you are worthy of being known. You're worth the effort of picking these passages apart so that we can know you more and love you more, Lord. We're here this morning because we are a people who want to know you, want to love you, want to worship you as the God of the universe that you are, Father. And so, Father, my prayer this morning is that we would leave more in love with you today than we did when we came in. My prayer this morning is that you would work through me, remove any distractions in my head, help me only speak truth. I pray, Father, for everyone else that they would hear only the truth I speak. <laughs> that they wouldn't hear my personal opinions or thoughts, but your words coming through me, Lord. They don't need me, they need you. And I pray for everyone as well, Lord, that you would remove distractions from their hearts, their minds. Things that are coming up this afternoon, things that are coming later on in the week. Remove these distractions, these anxieties, these frustrations, these, these conflicts. And I pray that we would be so focused on you, Lord, that we would just not be able to help but worship in this time. And so we pray, Father, Holy Spirit, come, work in this time. Change us, grow us. Do this for your glory, God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Starting in verse chapter 1. Here we go. The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. The world and those who dwell within. So this chapter, ch chapter 24 of the book of Psalms, starts with a pretty big claim. And it's actually a pretty simple thing to understand. What he's saying is this. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. It's the Lord's. It belongs to him. The world, the entire world, and the fullness thereof. Everything inside the world. It belongs to him. It's under God's jurisdiction. It's under God's care. He continues. And the, the world and those who dwell within. In other words, not only everything, but everyone. Everyone, everything is under the care of God. Under his jurisdiction. We might say under his ownership as the ruler and the king of the entire world. Why? Why does God have that position as the, as the ruler or maybe the owner, whatever language you want to use, of everyone and everything? Verse 2 tells us why. 
for or because he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Why is God over all? Why does he own the world and everyone and everything? Why does it all fall under his jurisdiction? Because he made it. He made it. And if he made it, then he is over it. He is more powerful than anything in it. And I love the language it uses here of founding the world upon the, upon the seas and upon the rivers. This is symbolic language. The idea being putting something solid like land upon something chaotic and, unmo- and moving like water. The idea being God is able to do this. He is able to bring order out of chaos. To put something immovable upon something that is movable. This is the type of God who is over all things. And so as we look at verses 1 and 2, we can boil it down very simply. God made everything. Therefore, he's over everything. He's more powerful than everything, and he is the creator, sustainer, ruler, king of everything. That's the, that's the simple foundation of this passage, and that's where this passage starts. And now David is going to build upon this foundation in the verses to come. So let's move on. Because in light of this reality of who God is, he asks a question now. If our God is the God who created everything and rules everything, if, he, if he's as powerful and majestic and amazing, then who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in the holy place? In other words, if God is this great, if he's this good, if he's this powerful, then who could possibly stand before him? Who's worthy of that? How could anyone possibly even consider being so bold as to enter into his presence? And it answers that question in the next verse, actually. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? And who shall stand in his holy presence? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false. And does not swear deceitfully. Now this answer, it actually makes sense to us. It makes sense from everything else we know about God. That God is not just all-powerful, but he's perfectly good. Right? He's perfectly holy, he's perfectly blameless, and perfectly pure. Not just that, but he's perfectly just. And so this God who's perfectly good and perfectly just, as we've talked about a lot throughout the Psalms, cannot be in relationship with someone in sin. In the book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13, we read this. That God is of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong. In other words, in his power, in his goodness, God cannot passively be in the presence of sin. And so if that's true, who can ascend the hill of the Lord? Who can stand in his holy place? Only those who have clean hands. Who have never done sinful works. Or sinful actions. Only those who have pure hearts. People with pure character. Pure motives. Those who do not lift up their souls to what is false. This expression to lift up your souls. uh, it's, It's an expression to mean seek satisfaction in. Somebody who doesn't seek satisfaction in what is false. Meaning uh, most likely uh, false gods. But in this case, the one who seeks satisfaction in the true God and what is true. And finally, who does not swear deceitfully. So who can stand in the presence of God? The one with pure actions, pure motives, and pure speech. 
In, only, in other words, only those who are pure, righteous, upright, and holy can be in the presence of a God who is pure, righteous, upright, and holy. But of, pure, of course we're not pure, upright, and holy, are we? <laughs> Rather, our hands are dirtied with the sin that we've conducted in our lives. We're not perfect. We've all sinned. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our hearts have impure character. We have impure, sinful motivations. We were all born with this terminal cancer called sin so that even while we live from our birth, we've been dead in our sin. And that's what makes the good news of the gospel so wonderful. What's so wonderful about what Jesus accomplished on the cross is that while we do not have clean hands, while we haven't had perfect perfect actions in our lives, Jesus did. And while we don't have pure hearts, pure motivations, and pure character, Jesus did. And when he took our impurity and died in our place, we have been given credit for his clean hands. We have been given credit by faith for his purity of heart. And we are transformed into his image continually throughout our lives. And so we have clean hands and we have pure hearts. Sorry, let me be more clear about that. In the eyes of God, we have been made right. Let me be clear about that. But then also God is continually changing our actions, us continually throughout our lives. We might say sanctifying us to make us more like him. So the question we have to ask now is who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Who shall stand in his holy place? We can't. We can stand in the presence of God. And we can stand in that place, in his presence, because we have been made new by the work of Jesus Christ, by his blood as he died and rose again. And we have access to our creator, God. I feel like we take this for granted so much. I know I do. Um, I think about the access that we have to God today in comparison to the access uh, the Jewish people did in the Old Testament. I think about the fact that in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit was only poured out in certain times and in certain circumstances. In the Old Testament, you had to go to the temple to meet with God. In the Old Testament, there was a priest who was interceding on behalf of the people of Israel to God, standing as an in-between. But now, we have access to God, wherever we are. We have the Holy Spirit living inside our hearts. We are the temples of the Holy Spirit. We don't have to have a great high priest because we have Jesus as our great high priest. He's the one who intercedes on our behalf. So wherever we are, if we have come to Jesus by faith, we have access to the God of the universe. What a blessing. And that blows our minds that we have access to a God who created and rules all things. For those who've been made pure by the blood of Jesus Christ, our God is present with us. He's near to us. We have access to him. Hallelujah. And the writer builds upon this in the next two verses. So let me read those. He, that is the clean and the pure one, will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. And that reaffirms what we've already been saying. For those who seek their God, seek the one true God, we will receive righteousness and blessings. For all those who seek God's face, in other words, seek to intimately know him, these blessings and righteousness will be ours. Um, and this, this expression, 
when he, when he talks about the blessings here, I think that's an intentionally broad term. We're going to come back to that. Because I think blessings is manifest. <laughs> I think the blessings that come for seeking after Christ is infinitely broad. And that's a good thing. All right, but we'll come back to that in a moment here. Our God is present, and he is near to those who follow him and who are pure. So now as we come to the end of the passage, what we've seen so far is in verse 1 and 2, we see God's power. Power is the creator and ruler over all things. Verses 3 through 6, we see that God is near. He's present to those who are holy. Present to those who have been made holy in him. And now in verses 7 through 10, we're going to see another picture of God's power. Let's look there. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates. Lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. We see this expression five times in these last three verses. God is the king of glory. And I love it because all God's mind-blowing attributes can be rolled up into this one word, his glory. God's glory is the manifest beauty of his holiness. The Hebrew word for, for glory is a word that means weightiness. Because it's just the sheer weight that we feel when we encounter that element of God's grandeur, his glory. So God here, in this passage, is called the king of glory. Meaning that the one who rules all with splendor, with perfection, with perfect power. And the image here that he's painting in this picture, it's interesting words with gates and doors and lifting up their heads and all of this. But I think that the image that they're trying to portray here is a military procession. The type of military procession that David would have encountered as he came home from battle. This is the king returning victoriously from battle, and they open up the gates, open up the doors of the walls of the city wide so that the victorious king can enter in. And the reason that we think that that is what's being portrayed here is because of the language at the end. It says, who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Who is this king of glory? Verse 10, the Lord of hosts. That's the Lord of armies. So in verse 1 and 2, God's power is shown in the fact that he created everything and owns everything, rules everything. 3 through 6, we see that he is near to us. And finally, at the end, in verses 7 through 10, we see God's power yet again in the fact that he is more strong, more mighty than anyone else. That he will always find victory over his enemies. So we zoom out at Psalm chapter 24. I think two main things jump out to us. I'm sure you already know what those are. Because as we look at Psalm chapter 24, the overarching truth that we see is that God is present and he is powerful. God is near and he is strong. God is close and he is mighty. God hears our prayers and he does mighty things through them. God enters our lives and he revolutionizes our lives. God is near to the brokenhearted, and he's an adversary to the adversaries. Our God is a lamb, and he's a lion. We have the privilege of entering into the presence of a God who is present and powerful. 
we have a God who is present and powerful, and we need a God who is present and powerful. Um, on Thursday night, um, Olivia and I went to sleep. We went to sleep around 10.30. And about an hour and a half later, uh, we woke up, um, or Olivia woke me up, because she was experiencing some really serious hemorrhaging in bed. Um, this was all due to postpartum complications and um, a, lot of, a lot was coming out. So we got in the car, we threw Davy in the car right about midnight and we started rushing to the hospital. She was, she was losing a lot of blood. And, uh, actually, by the end of the night, she, will, she would have lost almost a quarter of her blood in her body. And um, as we were driving, we didn't know what was happening. We didn't know why it was happening. Um, we didn't know what was causing it. We didn't know what it would take to fix it. But we were flying to the hospital to try to figure it out. And we were scared. We were terrified. I was. And she was as well. And in that present, we needed a God. In that moment, we needed a God who was present. We needed a God who was near to us. And not just near to us, but a God who was so powerful that he could do something about this. We needed a God who was present and who was powerful. And while you're in those circumstances, it's so hard to focus on this God that you can't see when the only thing that you can see is your wife bleeding next to you. And that's true of all of us. In the midst of our trials, in the midst of these things happening, we know the right answer. But it's so hard to remember that when the thing in front of us is just staring you in the face. And so as we drove, we, we tried to sing songs to remind us of the, of the truth of who God is, of his presence and of his power. Um, I sang, great is thy faithfulness, O God, my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. We sang other songs that reminded us of the fact that he is over things like this. Because when we're in crisis, we have to remember that we have a God who is present, who's by our side in that crisis. And we have a God who is powerful, more powerful than the thing causing that crisis. And we find hope and peace in the fact that our God is in that with us and able to help us in the crisis. And that's not just true in times of crisis, it's true in our depression. If you struggle with depression, God is present with you in that depression, and he is powerful over that darkness to pull you out of it. If you're in fear, God is present. He's close by your side in your fear, and he's more powerful than the thing that you fear. In your anger and in your anxiety, God is present with you to comfort you, to calm you, and he is more powerful than the raging emotions raging inside of you. In your loneliness, God is present with you, constantly by your side. And he is powerful to bring you joy even on the lonely nights. In your addiction, he is present with you in your temptation. And he's more powerful than that temptation, able to give you victory. In your grief, he's present with you in your pain. And he powerfully comforts the brokenhearted. In your insecurities, God is present with you and will not recoil from you. And in his power, he gives you a new identity in him. In your guilt, in your shame, he is present with you despite your sin, and by the power of the cross, he washes the guilty clean and the shame clean. In fact, he already has. And once he has, who can separate us from the love of Christ? 
We need a God who is present and who is powerful. And that's exactly who our God is. He's our loving, powerful, eternally faithful King of glory. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we approach these things in life that we can't control. And Father, we find hope and peace knowing that we are not the biggest people around. <laughs> our circumstances don't come down to our ability to fix them, ultimately. God, the outcome of any situation, of any struggle, of any trial, rests in the reality that you are able to do whatever you want to do. And Lord, we remember that sometimes things don't go the way we want them to go. But even in that time, we remember your goodness. Father, we know that you don't make mistakes. And even if we don't like the conclusions that you come to, the, the results that you lead us to, even then, Father, you're in control. And there we find our rest. That our good God is in control of all things. He's near. You're near to us. You love us, Father. So, Father, thank you for this truth that we find in Psalm 24, Father. That you are near the righteous and that you are powerful over all as the creator of all and the ruler of all my prayer god is that as we find ourselves in these things that seem too big for us help us remember that they are too big for us but not too big for you help us turn quickly there and help us hold on to that truth father we pray in jesus name amen